0: Man, it is such a blessing to be here. You know, I was really looking forward to this, and then about a minute and a half into the service, Brother Andrew calls me out. Thanks, Brother. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I, I was one of those who did not grab a hymn book. I thought having it memorized was good enough. Apparently not. So, um, either way. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it was a blessed summer at Silver State. While we were there, I believe... If my, if my calculations are correct, we had right at around 90 teens, except Christ, while we were there. And um, God's good. You know, if just one had gotten saved, it would have been worth it. But it's always exciting whenever you see more than one. Amen? So praise the Lord for that. And uh, it really was a blessed summer. But I will say this, I'm glad to be done. <laughs> I'm glad to be moved on and uh, it, to be able to focus now on church planning exclusively. And that is the blessing because, again, God didn't call me just to preach at Silver State. I'm thankful that he did for a short time. But the ultimate goal is New Hampshire. And I can't wait to get there. And am excited to see this youth group again. You know, I, I met them a couple weeks ago and I was really concerned about them. But then I met their youth pastor and everything made sense. And I uh, love Brother Andrew, so he's a good guy. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles And teens, where do you think we're turning to? Got a guess? You'd be wrong. Jonah, turn to the book of Jonah. (laughs) I had to say that because every single service that I preached at camp this summer was from John 3, but nope, we will not be in John 3 today. So we will be in the other book of the Bible that I know something about. Um, I'm just kidding. No, we'll, we'll be in the book of Jonah all day today. And I mentioned it at camp. I like to do good introductory sermons that kind of help lay the groundwork, help everybody get on the same page, help us all understand the same thing. And so that's what this message in Sunday school is intended to do, is to kind of help lay the groundwork for the book of Jonah. Um, Say, does Jonah really need some groundwork? Unfortunately, yes. So let me ask you, again, this is just going to be a broad statement. Whenever we use The term Jonah, or whenever we think of Jonah, we often use the phrase Jonah and the. Yes, and yet the whale is only mentioned in four short sentences in the entire book. I've learned that the whale is not the thing in the book of Jonah. It is a very large part, no pun intended, but it is not the thing in the book of Jonah. But you know, sometimes as I've studied this book, I actually studied it extensively. You're going to think I'm weird for this. For about three years, I studied it before I ever taught it. And I learned that we oftentimes can have what I'm going to call a Veggie Tales filter whenever it comes to the book of Jonah. Uh, that it's a children's story, you know, all about not running from the commandments of God. Now, I certainly am against people running from the commandments of God. But it's not a children's story. And by the way, I'm not against Veggie Tales. Necessarily, but we don't get our theology from veggie tales. And we certainly don't learn how to interpret the Word of God from veggie tales either. But no, I've learned that there's a rather adult message in the book of Jonah. And that the main thrust of the book is not just intended to be for children, but adults need to get it as well. And so we're going to take a deep dive into that. We're going to do just the first couple verses in Sunday school, and then we're going to preach the entire book. You think I'm kidding? The entire book in the morning service. But as the teenagers learned, I am short-winded, so don't get too nervous. So it'll be okay. So let's go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 1, and let's begin in verse number 1. And the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord." Well, how about we ask God to help us out? We will get right into the message this morning. Lord, we are so grateful for the privilege that we have to be in your house this morning. Lord, I'm mindful of the fact that all over the world right now, there are places where Christians cannot freely assemble like we are here this morning. So, Lord, I pray that that fact, that that understanding would not merely just pass by us, but that we'd be grateful for the privilege to assemble freely and see the things which you have to say to us. So, Lord, we invite you. We pray that you'd be present both in Sunday school and in the morning service. And, Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified in what is said and done. Lord, we love you now in Jesus' name. Amen. For several years, I was an associate pastor in Bridgeport, Texas. And uh, as you can probably imagine, Bridgeport is infamous for its heat. Just a, it is a hot place. And a couple of years ago, actually no, I guess it would only have been about two years ago now, I was preaching on a Sunday night. I preached every Sunday night there in Bridgeport while I was there. And I, got, I came in on a Sunday afternoon to turn on the lights, get everything ready for the evening service, And I went into the auditorium, and as soon as I opened the door, something was just drastically wrong. The heat, as soon as I opened the door, smacked me right in the face. Kind of like a hot, you know, like a blanket just just walloped me right in the face. Now, that's a problem. Because the air conditioner had been on all day. So why was it over 100 degrees in the auditorium? Well... I did some exploring, and I found out that there was something wrong with the air conditioner in particular that dealt with the air conditioner on the stage. We had separate air conditioners that fed different parts of the room, and what had happened was it was still blowing, but it was blowing no cold air, so it essentially turned the air conditioner into a heater in the middle of the summer. Uh, Can I just say that's tragic? absolutely tragic you know I had an expectation that whenever I went in that morning or that evening that whenever I got up to preach that it was going to be a nice cool auditorium that uh, other than perhaps my excitement I wasn't going to break a sweat too much but you know just because again the air conditioner would be working and it would be nice in there but no Instead, it was about 360 degrees on the platform, and and don't don't try to look up whether or not that's true or not, but but either way, it was hotter than should be allowed. And that's tragic, in my mind. But you know what's even more tragic than that? Whenever a child of God, who is saved by His grace, bought by His blood, blessed by His word, acts in a manner completely contrary... To the standard that is placed on us by God's word. And unfortunately, that is exactly the story of Jonah. And so as we get into the book of Jonah, we're going to find out that this man has a lot of expectation that's placed on him, but he breaks all the expectations. And he just tosses it to the side. But might I remind you that he's probably not alone in that. That there are expectations placed on us by God's word of how God expects us to behave, of how God expects us to act. And if we're not careful, we too can act in a manner completely contrary to the way that God intends for us to behave. And so right at the beginning in verses 1 and 2, there is an expectation of faithful obedience that is placed on Jonah. So they say, well, how do you see that? Well... First and foremost, let's just look at Jonah's name and even his lineage. Now, for whatever reason, I don't know why God orchestrated it this way, but the meaning of the name of the prophets in the minor prophets always contains a message of the theme of the book, for whatever reason. So again, the book of Zechariah means Jehovah remembers. Guess what the theme of Zechariah is? A whole bunch of that. If you were to go over to the book of... Micah, his name means who is like Jehovah. And a theme that's found all throughout the book of Micah is who is like Jehovah. So whenever we get to this book, it's no different. Again, I don't know why God orchestrated it to be that way, but God has his own purposes. But the name Jonah means dove. Alright, now whenever we think of a dove, what is it that we think about? Well, it often, in our minds, we think, have an image of peace or tranquility. Or perhaps also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. But then his father's name is also given. His father's name, Amittai, means faithfulness and truth. Well, that's quite a picture right there. So here he is. He's supposed to be a man of peace. Who's also the son of faithfulness and truth. Now, can I just say it this way? That's what every one of us ought to be characterized by. That we should be people of faithfulness and truth and be a people of peace, right? That would be that's a good expectation, I would say. But even we could even consider Jonah's previous work as a prophet. You see, this is in the first time in the Bible that he's brought up. He's also brought up in the book of 2 Kings in chapter number 14, where again, he's a prophet. Now, do we think that that should place a expectation the type of man that he should be? Absolutely. Well, we would expect if he's going to be a prophet as a man of God, that he would be readily obedient to the commandments of God. Kind of makes sense to me. And that whenever God said, do this, he would do it without question. And by the way, we ought to be like that. That when God commands us to do something, that we should go and be faithful to do exactly what God commanded us to do. So there's some expectations placed on him. But not even just that, but even think about Israel's role as a witness to the nation. That brings an expectation because all the way back in the book of Genesis, God had told Abraham that through you, through Israel, the rest of the world is going to be blessed. That Israel was not intended to take the blessings of God and hoard it to themselves, but that they were supposed to be a light to the nations. And so, as God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh, which was not of Israel, well, we would expect, hey, God's promise, God's commands that there's supposed to be a light to the nations. That's taking place right here. So there's that expectation. But then let's get a little bit deeper on some things. Some of the details that are given about Nineveh and even the call of Jonah, that even brings an expectation. So I think we understand that whenever we read the Bible, we're reading somebody else's mail. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible is not written to us, but there was an original audience to it, wasn't there? And the people of Israel, as they would have read Jonah, there were some phrases that would stand out to them that quick because they would have known God's word. And so there's some details given that perhaps would have sparked their mind to other places in the Bible that say, oh, we've seen this before. We've seen God work like this before. That's going to bring an expectation say, well, what do you mean? Well, back in Genesis chapter number 4, there's some phrases that sound kind of familiar. So in, chapter, in verse number 2 of Jonah, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Again, we've seen almost every bit of that verse somewhere else in the Bible. Genesis 4, verse number 10, with Cain and Abel, God said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Genesis chapter 6, verse 13, God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Or how about with Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18, it says, And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is, Come unto me, and if not, I will know. Or how about whenever the children of Israel were in Egypt, it says in Exodus chapter 2, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. Or even the numerous times in the book of Judges where the children of Israel would do wrong. And then God would send an oppressor to punish them. And then what would happen? They would cry unto God. And the Bible says repeatedly in that book that their cry came up unto God. And say, well, what's the big deal? Why is that an important detail? Because in each one of these stories that I just mentioned, God raises up a deliverer or an intercessor who will confront the evildoers and call them to repent or will plead with God on their behalf. Now, we can think of Moses. We can think of Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah, how he was an intercessor for Sodom and Gomorrah. And how whenever uh, God said that he was going to punish and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, Lord, will you spare the city if there are just but 50 righteous? And of course, we know it went all the way down to 10. But in each one of those stories, God raises up a man who will confront the evildoers, call them to repent, and perhaps even intercede on behalf of the wicked. So, in this story, I would say that's some expectations. Wouldn't you? I mean, here he has the opportunity to be a leader like Abraham. Like Moses. Like one of the other great judges in the period of the judges. That that's the story that could be written about Jonah. But we find a very different narrative. A very different narrative. Because when we get to verse number three. It says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. In this verse, there are multiple mentions Of how he ran from the presence of the Lord. So again, Jonah had the opportunity. He could have been like Moses. He could have been like Abraham. He could have been like Noah. He could have been like one of these great men in the Bible. But instead, he's going to be likened to somebody else. Because there's other people in the Bible that it also says they went out from the presence of the Lord. The Bible says Adam and Eve went out from the presence of the Lord. It also says in Genesis 4.16, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. That's what. So it could have been so opposite. It could have been that he was this great leader, but instead of being likened to them, he's likened to Adam and Eve, the people who brought sin into the world, or Cain, the first murderer in the world. Instead, he's likened unto them. And as he broke these expectations, it leads to a backwards narrative. You see, some people have called the book of Jonah a living satire. Now, it's a satire in that everybody in the book does the exact opposite of what we think they should do. Everybody in the book. Without question, they behave opposite of what we think they should do. But it's living in the fact that it's a true story. It really happened. It really happened. But it leads to a backwards narrative. So again, God commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh, which could only be traveled to by going to the north and to the east where he was and could only be traveled to by land. But no, where is he went? He went to the south and to the west and went down to a port on the sea, gone on a boat, going to Tarshish, which was going to the other end of the known world at that time. The complete opposite direction of what we think he should do, and what God had commanded him to do. But as he runs away, there's even other details given about how whenever he went into the boat, again, uh, read it for sake of time, we're not going to take all the time to read it right now, but if you were to look at, read some of the verses, we find that he goes down into a boat, and he goes to sleep, and then God, well, God sends a storm. And we know that then the, the mariners, they wake up, Jonah, and they say, cry unto your God. But what was it that we found them doing while he was sleeping? Well, we found the men of God sleeping while the pagan sailors were praying. That makes a lot of sense. And then after they get him up, they say, all right, Jonah. Uh, and they, of course, they cast lots. They find out that he's the reason for the storm. Of course, God is the source. And they find out that he's the reason. And they say, Jonah, what can be done? Let's not skip over his response now. Uh, throw me overboard. Really? Uh, do we understand what that was? That was Jonah deliberately attempting to commit suicide. Then going to the people that God had commanded him to reach. And of course, we find out that then God... or that they, they, they do throw him overboard... And the sea is calmed. And then what happens next? Well, we find those same pagan sailors. They, it says that they fear the Lord. They have an offering unto the Lord. Meanwhile, Jonah still doesn't fear the Lord. But as we look at this book, and as we see all these things, all these broken expectations... And we see this backwards narrative. A question can't help but burn in the mind of every person who reads it and hears the story. Why? Why would he behave like this? Why would he act like this? Why, whenever he had everything going for him, whenever he could have been a Moses-like leader, an Abraham-like leader, he runs away. And he becomes like Cain or like Adam and Eve whenever they ran from God. They ran out from the presence of God. Why does it have to be this way, Jonah? How did you end up this way when you should be over here, but instead you end up over here? Well, Jonah's main issue is that he had a worldview problem. Or a way that he thought that his life should go the things that he should do, the house that he should live in, the people that he should minister to. But I think we all understand here that the life of a child of God is not merely left up to us for our own pleasure and our own glory. Instead, our lives are supposed to exemplify faithful obedience to God as we align ourselves with his expectations while sacrificing our own. But Jonah had a worldview problem. So, some questions that I want to pose that I want us just to consider are these What is it that we don't want to give up for God? Who is it that we don't want to minister to? Where is it that we don't want to go? And say, oh, those are just the good missionary questions that every missionary asks. No, 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 no. L- let's pause for a second. Is it okay if I go down here? Is that okay? All right. L- let's pause for a second. Those are not just intended for you to think, well, maybe God wants me to go to the mission field. By the way, God may want you to go to the mission field. He may want you to be a church planner, but listen very carefully. Those questions are of the utmost relevance right here in Saint Joseph. What is it right here? And St. Joseph that we are not willing to give up for God. Who is it right here that we aren't willing to minister to? Where is it right here that perhaps we're not willing to go for God's glory? Because again, Jonah had a worldview problem because life was good for Jonah while he was able to preach and minister to the people of God there in Israel. And while he did those things and and enjoyed doing that, of course, he thought his life was wonderful. He got to minister to the king. The king liked him because he gave a nice prophecy that talked about the borders of Israel being enlarged there in the book of 2 Kings. And so life was good whenever he had to do that. But listen very carefully. God isn't interested in us having a comfortable ministry. But he is interested in us being obedient to him to reach those that perhaps we have already deemed unreachable. Those that perhaps we would on the surface say, God, are you sure you want me to reach them? Uh, Or say, well, well, who is it that God commanded Jonah to reach? Why was Jonah so adamantly against them? Well, God commanded him to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Again, just because of some of the graphic nature of who the Ninevites were, I will spare some of the details. But the, the Ninevites in the Assyrian Empire is an empire that is infamous in world history. Absolutely infamous for their cruelty, for the psychological war, warfare that they would inflict on the people that they had, they had conquered, the fact that they would torture people alive in front of everybody as a warning. And of course, they had been the sworn enemies of Israel. And perhaps even Jonah himself had had family or friends or whoever it may be or knew somebody or perhaps somebody that he ministered to that had been hurt by the Ninevites. And so whenever God commanded Jonah to go, he said, God, I was comfortable right here. I was comfortable in my little bubble ministering to the people that enjoy hearing me every single day. But no, to go to them, to go to my sworn enemies... I don't know if I can do that, God. And so he runs from the presence of the Lord. But again, let's not think that Jonah is alone in that. That there are people that if God were to command us to minister to, that there's perhaps a group of people or an individual that would be like, I don't know about that, God. Are you sure you want me to reach them? Well, here's newsflash. He has. He has commanded us to. And so let me pose the questions again. Who is it that we're not willing to minister to right here in St. Joseph? Where is it right here in St. Joseph that we're not willing to go? what is it right here that we're not willing to give up? Because if our lives are going to exemplify faithful obedience to God, the answers to those questions are of the utmost importance. The absolute utmost importance. The town I'm going to is a very dark place. Again, the the teenagers saw the video a couple weeks ago. It is a town where there is open witchcraft. Every church in town except for us flies the pride flag. Every single church. Even beyond that, there is, and I'm I'm just going to be transparent with you, as transparent as I can be. There is a massive homosexual population in King. Massive. I have seen statistics, again, I don't know how accurate it is, but I was also told and then I saw that it's projected that up to 10% of the town is actually homosexual. That's massive. That's almost, on. That's, that's even higher than a lot of the cities in California. And, and I'll be honest with you, if there was one group of people that perhaps God's people struggle reaching the most, it would probably be that crowd. It would probably be that crowd. And and can I be real honest with you? I'm not exempt from that. I'm not exempt from those feelings. And so initial reaction whenever you see a town like that is like, well, they need the Lord, but I'll be excited for somebody else to go deal with them. But I don't really want to deal with it myself. But if God calls. And guess what? God has commanded. And guess what? Regardless of how much that makes us squirm. God loves every person. I I say God loves every person. And God wants to show his grace to every person if they will simply repent. But how can they hear without the Word of God? And how can they hear without a preacher? I know there's a verse that says that. I'm not even going to try to quote it because my mind is mush right now (laughs) in full transparency. But how can they hear without a preacher? But that's not just true of Keene, New Hampshire. That's true of St. Joseph, Missouri. So who is it that we're not willing to reach? Where is it that we're not willing to go? What is it that we're not willing to give up? Because God's willing to save and God's willing to use if we're willing to go. So, I think perhaps the best thing that we can do before the morning service when we are going to get very specific in the morning service. Very specific. I think the best thing that we can do right now is simply perhaps to, in our hearts, maybe after, after we dismiss, perhaps to maybe just bow our heads and say, Lord, where is it or who is it that I'm not willing to reach? Where is it that I'm not willing to go What is it that I'm not willing to give up and to get on our face before God and surrender that? Because do we understand that that is an obstacle that is in the way of God using us in the way that He intends for us to be used? So listen very carefully. I think that we all seriously need to just surrender before God and say, God, I'm going to give it all up to you. And God, wherever, whoever you want me to reach, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. Because we understand that our life isn't about our pleasure, but instead about His glory. Amen? And if we can get that, I think that we would have started correctly in understanding the book of Jonah. Now, again, in the next message, we are going to focus primarily on chapter 4. Whenever we get into chapter 4, chapter 4 is the filter gives us the filter or the glasses, if you will, and that the rest of the book of Jonah is to be interpreted through. If you understand Jonah chapter 4, you understand the the rest of the book of Jonah. And so we're going to focus on that. We will briefly rehearse the rest of the book. And again, there might be some people that come in. I might mention some of the same things that we said here this morning. I might uh, just rehash some of it just real quick. But again, what is it that we're not willing to give up for God? What is it? Who is it that we're not willing to reach minister to? And where is it that we're not willing to go? And let's just think about that and meditate on those questions before we get to the main text here in just a little bit. We get it? All right, let's pray, and then we will turn it back over to you, brother. Lord, we are, again, so grateful for your word. Lord, I'm thankful that your word meets us right where we're at. And Lord, sometimes whenever your word meets us right where we're at, it's not always an easy thing to hear. But Lord, I pray that you would help us now to analyze ourselves, to think about what is it that perhaps we've held back from you? Perhaps the people that we aren't willing to, to reach or what is it that is hindering uh, our ability to be fully used by you. And Lord, that we would surrender those things before you. And Lord, that we would get it right. And that from henceforth, that our lives would exemplify faithful obedience as we bring glory to you with our lives. So Lord, I pray that you'd bless now. I pray that you'd bless uh, the, the main preaching hour. I pray that you'd be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, Amen.